Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius, the man out of time, my conquistador, if you will. <laughs> I am I am your conquistador, my lady. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm not too bad at all. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to explain um, this one today. <laughs> well, let's do it. We can do it. We can. I'm not right. Let me put it this way. I can't explain the last 10 minutes of this film. <laughs> um, we are talking about The Fountain, uh, the Darren Aronofsky, The Fountain, from, uh, I think, a year, actually. What year is it? 2009? 2006. 2006. Yeah, you're right. 2006. Starring Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz, uh, predominantly. Um, before we get into a plot, because we'll talk our way through it, um, Julian, what were your, f- or your first impressions? And when did you first see this film? Is this your first viewing or... No, I saw it uh, in theaters, mm. um, and you know I'll talk about the, my reaction to it later on. But I have seen it several times subsequently, um, and then sort of um, you know watching it again for this podcast. I guess it had been maybe a year, two years, something mm. since I saw it, um, and I and I thought. Um, yeah, I've got a. This is some heavy stuff. I'm gonna have to trudge through, you know. And as soon as it starts, I'm on a roller coaster ride through the whole thing. Mm. So, what about you? This is your first time. This is my first time. Yeah, and um, visually, this film is is a is a is stunning. Like, there's some really cool stuff in there, and I liked that how each of the narratives there are things that keep cropping up especially this idea of the tree you know representations of nature in the background in things especially carved in wood you know there's um little bits and pieces and these i thought oh, there's lots of thought being gone into the set design and the in the costuming and, and all this stuff that tells me exactly what's going on um which I loved. Like there was some really cool stuff, and the cast are pretty good. You know, I always, you know, um, I think Hugh Chapman usually pretty much brings his A game, whether it's all, you know, whether it's right or not. Um, and Rachel Weisz is, is, you know, beautiful, stunning, and and actually very, you know, she's a great actress. Um, what I would say is, that I'd say no, I liked ninety ninety percent of this film. And then I was a bit like, oh, look at this waffly bollocks. This is just gone off on one. Um, you know, it's it's it, it was fine. It was it was good. But we'll get into it, I think. OK, yeah, I, I'm interested to to hear that. Uh, well, let's do a plot summary for the for the listeners. Yes. So I haven't written one, uh, but we are going to go through this. So 
Um, Thomas Creo is a doctor experimenting in different forms of brain surgery. He is doing this predominantly because his wife, uh, Izzy Creo, uh, has a tumour and he's getting closer and closer to death um, and has symptoms such as uh, lack of sensory for hot and cold or uh, taste, I think, at one point. And so he works feverishly to find a cure and in doing so uses a, an element of a tree that exists in a deep forest and it finds that uh, whilst experimenting on an ape uh, it can rejuvenate brain activity and you know, uh, rejuvenate synapse activity reju- you know rejuvenating the ape to an, a much earlier age however it doesn't prevent the growth of the tumor in another time a conquistador is searching through a South American jungle looking for a mythic tree of life. Uh, and slowly his people are killed off. Um, and he is looking to find this tree for the Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the conquistador is at Tomas. And he is... Uh, has been Isabella, set... right. It's, it's, sorry, Isabella. It's, sorry, yeah. Isabella. Your British bias is showing. Yeah, <laughs> Isabella. Um, she has sent him on this mission. And, uh, you know, let's be clear, I was surprised at this point because nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Um, but the, the, the reason she has sent him is to get this thing. The Inquisition. Yeah. What a shot. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It, Monty Python did jump into my brain, but <laughs> we'll, we will get to that. Um, so, yeah, but in the far future, some thousands of years into the future or hundreds of years in the future, um another version of Thomas, or I mean, it is actually Thomas, uh, is travelling through space in a bubble, uh, and is accompanied by a tree that may or may not be the tree, this tree of life, and he is heading, heading towards the Shambhala uh, nebula, which is a dying nebula, uh, and when it dies out, it will reignite and create a sun, um, and this idea of creating life from death and thus sort of reigniting and bringing people back to life. All of these uh, are connected. These three narratives are connected. In the past, uh, it may, I'm going to ask you if it actually exists, if it actually happened, but this conquistador may have happened in the past. It may also just be a narrative that uh, Izzy is creating for her manuscript, The Fountain, and it is revealed that it is actually Tommy, um, and he has found a way to stall ageing and has lived for thousands of years. And the tree is a um, is a tree that was grown from the body of Izzy when she died, and he is taken into the Shambhala Nebula to be reborn. Right, or maybe it's the tree of life that they got the shavings from, mm. you know, uh, to uh, get that compound that is curing the chimpanzee. Yeah, um, and you know, essentially the three narratives end with the conquistador finds the tree of life, but ingesting it, it causes um, life to sprout within Mm. him and he collapses and dies and is food for these, these sprouting sort of flowers. And um, in the present is he dies and Tom rails against it and uh, vows to cure death. And that's the last you see him. And in the future narrative, the nebula, uh, the sun that's going supernova at the heart of the nebula explodes and um, he and the tree are consumed. And he seems to believe that this will 
lead to new life, mm -hmm. to being reborn. And he sees Izzy on that weird spherical spaceship that has the tree inside this this sphere. Um, and that's the movie. Yeah. I mean, the thing we should know is when the, the thing does go supernova, it, it, it vaporizes him, but it, vapor, it, well, <clears throat> it shoots energy through him, and at the same moment, the tree is reborn because the tree, the tree, the tree's mm. actually died and regrows. So you do see this idea of regrow of growth. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we'll get in, we'll get into it because there's some there's some I, I need some help with that ending if I'm honest. I, I will um, help you. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I've thought way too much about this movie. Yeah. Uh, um, what was is that the uh, the, the the film opens with the conquistador. Um, and again, this isn't this is a sort of a split narrative. It's also sort of uh, not told um, uh, consecutively. It's sort of it's it's told in, in fits and spurts at times. <clears throat> this film takes some brain power to sort of to keep on board of what's going on in what order and why. <clears throat> but it starts with the conquistador and small army that they've sort of reached their their sort of destination and they are fighting some um, Aztec. Uh, or Inca sort of uh, warriors, Mayan, yeah, Mayan warriors, yeah, um, and then eventually it sort of a, it comes down to a sword fight between Tomas and uh, the chief, um, which Tomas loses. Yes, um, and at that point in the narrative, um, you have seen the other narratives, and Tomas, um, the Mayan warrior, sees the transfigured Tomas from the future. In his lotus position, and seems to have a vision of him, and recognizes him as the first father, the sort of you know, I mean, Mayan version in this film of sort of Adam, yeah, um, and recognizing him invites Tomas to slit his throat and continue to the tree of life. Well, let, let's go back because we sort of, we, was, we are discussing the ending, but let's go back to the sort of, the, 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 these two now, these three narratives. Um, Cause you know, the characters from each are all played by uh, Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. They are sort of playing those, those, you know, as we used to say, the wrestling circuit doing double duty, they're pulling a, a, you know, a couple of different roles. Um, let, let's talk about the conquistador and, and Isabella uh, to begin with. And so, because uh, I, I really enjoy this historic element because it looks great. It has, it's one of those sort of, um, this is a science fiction film, no doubt, but with the costuming and some of the bits, like I mm. like it when they have that sort of elaboration that almost gives it like a fantasy element. You know, it, 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 it helps to accept some of the magic. Um, and so I do. I love the way this has been shot and the way it's sort of the costuming and everything has been done. Like the modern day is the modern day. Like it's very, it's very, it's kept as relatively straight. But that that conquistador and Queen Isabella, right? Question one. First, let's start. So basically, he is sent because there's this uh, a, a father, a Catholic priest, has sort of seen, has been told of this tree in the middle of this jungle, South American jungle, New Spain, what they call it. Um, and he, basically, the the Inquisition have also heard of it. So basically, it's a bit of a race as to who gets there first. Now, there isn't an actual race. There isn't an Inquisition going after it either. But they're like, We've, you've got to get this first and claim it for Spain under the royalty so the Inquisition don't claim it for themselves at some later point. 
in in theory, although you know the the Grand Inquisitor is, I mean, this is totally a historical, but yeah, the idea is that because of this discovery, he feels as if uh, Isabella is, has turned away from God and is concerned with life on this. Uh, and it is he has this great speech about you know the body is a prison right this this mm. Christian doctrine which is quite correct for Christianity, um, and so to him Isabella is a heretic essentially yes. and he's going to overthrow Queen. Now all of this is totally a historical. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. It's, yeah I mean it's it is true that. The, the Spanish did search for the tree of life. I mean, mm-hmm, they did. Mm-hmm. They did believe that the new world was Eden, um, and in fact, um, it, that goes back to you know Columbus uh, in his his records. Oh, back uh, even further. Back even further, doesn't it? Like you say, there's initial You know, there's initial. They were looking for all kinds of things in New Spain. Like you say, fountain, fountain of youth, tree of life, Eldorado in Africa. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there was this obsession with finding the the historical Eden, right? Mm. Because they believed mm. that the Bible was literally true and Eden mm. was somewhere on the planet. Um, but obviously they didn't find it. Obviously, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, and it, it does play into this sort of like lost Mayan city, mm. trope, right? You know, and, and the sort of tree of life trope. Um, but there's a lot that is fictionalized. And I think oh, the yeah. first time I saw it, I was bothered by that. Um, but I'm not anymore. Well, okay. And this comes to my one of my questions. Because you say it's, it's a fictionalized history. And it is. It's a complete sort of fabrication. It's almost like a fantasy. <clears throat> uh, you know, it made me think of Indiana Jones. You know, the sort of the traps coming up and, and you know, finding something healing, Last Crusade sort of thing. Um. However, we also find that Izzy in the present, or in the 2009 present at least, 2006 present, sorry, <clears throat> is writing a manuscript. And she's writing it by hand, and it's called The Fountain. Now, it's called The Fountain, which is interesting because this thing is nothing about a fountain. It's about a tree. Um, but this whole story sort of, you know, this story in the past is what she has written. And so my question really is, at least in the sort of, let's say, in the historic context of this film, so in the universe of this film, did the conquistador's journey actually happen? No. Are they a re- are, is is that Isabella and Tomas a reincarnation into Thomas, or is it just everything that's in that story is a fiction? So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna break the whole movie down for you. No, no, yeah, um, because there's no way to do this without unraveling yeah. the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I think. When you first see it, you're sort of like you don't know if they've been reincarnated or, or mm. how these all relate. Um, it is very clear that I mean, she goes to a Mayan exhibit at a at a museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's read to the fountain. What she's written is clearly what's been presented to you, and she says that all that's left is the last chapter. And there's sort of this refrain through the whole movie of where she says, "Finish it." Yes. And she's going to die without writing the last chapter. Um, And her husband, who is fighting to save her, you know, is attached to control. um, Is focused on keeping her alive and she's ready to go. Um, So 
none of that in the past. All of the the ways in which it's fictionalized, it's not really true to the Mayans. It's not really true to Spain. Mm-hmm. The actual Ferdinand and Isabella. Where's Ferdinand, right? The actual yeah. Ferdinand and Isabella were horrible people who <clears throat> massacred uh, mm-hmm. the Muslims and kicked the Jews out of the country. And, you know, um, all of this is fiction. That is the fountain. And when you see the title card of the film, it's the title card of her. Yes. Uh, book. It's the, it, the of her book, right? Yeah. With her writing. So the entire Mayan narrative is clearly fiction. fiction. Mm. He had uh, he has written the final chapter of the Mayan thing, which is um, he's just the Tomas has been stabbed, and that whole sequence in which the guy who stabs him realize sees this transfigured future self, and and he goes to the tree of life. That's uh, Thomas's invention. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of that happened, right? Mm-hmm. They're not. There's. They're not reincarnated. Um, and this is kind of. This is kind of heartbreaking. So then you realize that there's this wonderful scene on the roof where he comes out and finds her on the roof, and she's pointing to this nebula in the sky, um, and. It only some apparently only some Mayans believe that Shibalba was was up there. Yeah. Uh, but that same idea does exist in in some Gnostic beliefs. You know, mm. it does exist in other cultures. The idea that you would go to a star after you die. Um, they didn't know what stars were. But um, so she has this beautiful sequence in which she recognizes that and he takes her inside. So the idea is, after she died, he wrote uh, that whole future narrative. That whole future narrative is fiction, too. Um, that's, he didn't just write the final chapter. He wrote a whole other book, which is integrated into the narrative. And that whole transcendent future thing is his fantasy and him coming to terms with her death um, and going to this place that she believed in. He's worked it into the narrative. So then, you and, and that's why the transfigured self can appear in the end of the Mayan narrative. Yeah. So then the question is, uh, what's going on with the present-day narrative? Yeah. And what took me a while to to figure out is that the present day narrative is fiction too. Um, the present day narrative is autobiographical. It's based on a version of somebody dying, right? mm-hmm. but there's no, you know, all the stuff that like, just like the, the mind, the historical inaccuracies bothered me upon first viewing. And then I realized, okay, it's fiction. It's an, it's an allegory. Um, the present day stuff bothered me. Like, really, you've got this cutting from a tree, you know, in Central yeah. America, you know, um, and it heals. The, yeah, that's all fiction, too. And that's why the future self can see the present day Izzy and sort of whether he's hallucinating her or seeing her. And the future self has the tattooed line yes. of the ring, the sort of shadow 
of the wedding wedding ring mm. and the ring reappears mm. before he he dies and he puts it on and replaces the darkness with a with a glowing gold gold um and so really all of this is a using science fiction and this is why it may not technically be a science fiction film mm. it's um using science fiction using historical fiction to deal with death and deal with this terrible loss and the fact that yeah she never comes back she's just dead um and what we have left is fiction now i'm going to pull so i've already got like one level is the future narrative you know the past narrative is fiction the future yeah. narrative is fiction too the present day narrative is tied to that fiction and, and is fictionalized. Um, and then you mentioned the fountain. It's not the fountain of youth. It's the tree of life. Um, the fountain is the fountain pen that she gives him. Right. And, and the ink of the fountain pen, that black ink, is the shadow version of the white kind of pus that comes out of the tree mm -hmm. that grants life um and so what is the fountain of life it's what we have in fiction to deal with the reality of death and, and what we don't know about you know life uh and about what happens after um so all of this is is a meditation on death and on um on immortality and on the power of fiction and the role of fiction in as a kind of recompense for losing people like Izzy. <laughs> That's a lot to process. Um, yeah. But no, it, it is interesting that you said because one of the things I read when I was sort of like, you know, doing a little bit of side research, I don't, I don't know if I try not to do much research about the films because it sort of, it can um influence your viewing experience but one of the things i did see was that aronofsky sort of came off and weirdly having seen the matrix mm. and was like oh great so people are sort of ready to talk about meta narratives or meta sort of realities so i can go and do something and sort of he took it to his extreme in this form um and so when you say about the fiction i was there, there was a part of it's like okay when i realized because I was leaning towards this thing of being like, okay, so the conquistador stuff is is the book. Like I understand that, but like it seemed to be it seemed to be pulling in uh, Tommy so much. I was like, all right, but is he having some sort of like you know past life thingy, uh, you know, sort of throwback? But then I was like, but actually, he never remembers it or anything when he's in the future because it's revealed. Obviously, it's him in the future that's been there, you know, lived for thousands of years. And so it does become this twisty, turny sort of thing around the narrative. And then when he appeared as this sort of like, you know, Shibalba, uh infused being, you know, the meditative floating deity thing at the end, I was a bit like, OK, it's it, to me, that was the moment where I was like, you've, you've you know, if, if you if you if you'd have kept one as a narrative and these as a sort of like, you know, except the fiction you know we'll get onto this idea of death in a moment but like yeah i'd have sort of accepted that but then it sort of um it, it just became i don't know it, it felt like 
if Alan Moore or Grant Morrison had done this in a comic, it's one of those where I'd probably rolled my eyes at it and gone, oh, no, you've sorry, you've gone too far down. You're sort of, um, you know, this this doesn't this doesn't work for me uh, in that sense of like, um, I, it's too sort of you've tried to be too twisty turny, um, and you've sort of felt it feels a bit like you've tied yourself in knots. Uh, at that point there's other bits that do work in it but that one bit where it's like where the mayan king leader whatever swings that flaming sword which by the way again like all that looks awesome like you know again costume design and set design this is great but then he stops because of this sort of floating thing and then and then sort of it pans back and it's because you see tomas the the conquistador he's been stabbed he's bleeding and he sort of then he sort of presents like he presents his, his neck and again, sort of like, okay, so the conquistador didn't see him. He was what trans, trans, he was replaced by him. It's it's that thing of like, and I know it's supposed to be a metafiction, but I'm like, at least it's got to work narratively because then it shoots back and you say the Mind King is still presenting his throat to hmm. a shabby looking conquistador. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, some of that is like so. I think the conquistador is seeing a vision of this. You know, he's having a religious vision at that moment. No, no, um, then he isn't. No, that that comes when he's after the tree. He does he drinks the fluid from the tree and has he sees the the tree like illuminates and it sort mm-hmm. of infuses and becomes. And then he sees Shabalba and it's sort of like the leaves uh, start to twist and it becomes the sort of the heart of that nebula. All that stuff is great. I mean, it looks fantastic. But I get that bit. But the fact that, like, he just sort of, like... Because he looks confused. Like, when the, the, the Mayan mm. king has presented his throat to him, he's, he's like, you know... He's like, all right, slits his throat and they get on. Um, but, like, he hasn't, had a, he hasn't had a religious experience at that point. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying the Mayan has had this religious yeah. vision, right? So the Mayan response... But, it, but it's the kind of, like... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this sort of, like, deus ex machina, like... The character is defeated on the footsteps of his goal. Mm. And, of course, you know, there's a twist. Something sur- surprises you that, you know, re- and, and it's mystical that, you know, mm. the, the Mayan sees this thing. And so I love when you cut back to the sh- grubby looking, you know, uh, conquistador. He's like, you know, he's dirty, <laughs> tired. He's just like, all he knows is, I mean... This is also, so I, I guess it's like, you know, the West being, you know, less mystical. Like, he, he's just like, no, this guy's exposing his throat. Like, do I, do I take this opportunity or not? Like, he's not thinking, I'll water the soil with his blood in the name mm-hmm. of the He's just thinking, oh, my God, I've got this, this chance. And he mm. hesitates and then he, he kills him. But I, I, quite, I quite like that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it's the fact <laughs> that they jump into each other. Like you say, the the the, the deus, you know, ex machina sort of element of it. When that happens, that begins to bother me. I mean, one of the things I'd say is like the conquistador stuff. Like, you know, I want to get more into some of the stuff in that because there's a couple of things I like. Um, but in the in the present day, this idea, if I'm going to take it, if I'm going to take it in three, let's take it in three lumps. I like to take things, you know, visually. Right, <clears throat> conquistador stuff. If it's all fictional, right? So this is this could be a prose novel, right? You could do this as a sort of a thing. But the conquistador stuff, the past is a fiction, right? It's an it's a proper fiction. Um 
the the med the, the present day stuff yeah there's gonna be a fiction but like you say it's autobiographical or biographical it's going to be at least it's based in some form of, of reality mm-hmm. and then you get this far-flung future and but those that present day and that far-flung future you are given enough information to um connect them mm-hmm. um and you, you there's, there's other things you can start to connect um, but you connect them by, you know, at the end, towards the end of the thing, when when Iz, uh, Izzy dies, um, as you say, sort of Tommy comes in and he makes that speech. He sort of says, um, you know, we've now found this element and we're gonna we're gonna stop aging. We're gonna stop death. You know, there's a cure for death. We are gonna find this thing. That's a death is a disease like any other. Yeah, and we're gonna find a cure. We wouldn't have no more aging and whatever. So by that point, I'm like, okay, so the future self is an actual future self. Like he has they they succeeded. They found this thing and he succeeded and lived for thousands of years. And we do not know what happened in those intervening years, but you get the gist. And then you get this element of there's one other part that where uh, they've talked about this, the first father, this Mayan tradition. And so I'm still accepting that the Mayan thing is a fiction. But she, uh, Izzy, before she dies, she hands. Um, they have this idea of the seed being planted in with the body, and that's how it happened. It was a seed that was planted in the body, and the tree of life grew from the first father, and that's what it was. And so you have this bit of Tommy plants a very specific seed into Izzy's grave, and so you then have this. Um, you know, the, the, for me. Mm-hmm. It's going to be that in the future that is Izzy. That yeah. tree, is, I mean, obviously, that's the, to me that tree that seed grew through her grave, and so he's then basically got a plow and pulled it up and stuck it in a bubble, and he's flying through space with with Izzy. Um, and like you then say, you can question is he hallucinating and seeing that that past that you know, the 26, 2006 her, or is it literally? some projection from the tree because you see the, the tree sort of breathes it has sort of bristles that sort of you know that mm-hmm. um respond to touch and all that that's a great idea i love the fact this, this tree trees are living things but this thing almost seems like you know it, it has both elements of flora and fauna that you know can it's true life it's all life you know in that sort of thing i, I love that concept well, and those hairs on the side of the tree responding in extreme close-ups are like the yeah. hairs on the back of her neck that you exactly. had the same kind of extreme close-ups of. Yeah, and so those sorts of moments, so I love that sort of that connection. So I'm accepting that, like, in the far future, he has got this thing, and he's taking her to this nebula that she was investigating, or she was, you know, con- um, uh, interested in or meant so much to her, and her, you know, what she was doing. So right. that to me, that to me means a lot. Like he's done this over thousands of years, and then he's that. That's so basically, it's almost like them dying together at the heart of this sun to become a single entity and sort of in the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still has a physicality to it, ludicrous as it seems, and sort of you know this far flung future. It's still the same Tommy that's lived for thousands of years and acquired this technology and is sort of now sat balding in a in a bubble floating through space. But it's still the same Tommy that we've been following who's been looking for this thing. So it's sort of like those two have become a fixed, continual narrative supported by this this fiction that we know, this this conquistador fiction. So when the sort of like the the floating Tommy, you know, future Tommy, glowing Tommy appears in the sort of the conquistador thing, I'm sort of like that that that's where it breaks down for me because I'm like, oh no, it's like, you know. 
if you're going to break that wall between those things, you've got to give me something else. And then you're saying, oh, the whole thing's a fiction. I'm like, great. It's still, it's all a fiction. It's all like a meta fiction, but I still need, you are either keeping the two things separate and they are sort of, you know, the, 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 the metaphors and the sort of the thematic, you know, elements are still the same, you know, we are weaving together or the stories weave together. And you're trying to do both. And it sort of it's it feels like a spaghetti junction of things at that point. Because it's so fast as well. So much is happening. I'm just like, I don't yeah. know what's going on. I'm just being punched in the gut by a bunch of visuals that look great. But like that moment really, really bothered me. From what is the moment that bothered you? The thing of the, the, the glowing, floating, meditating Tommy appearing instead of the oh. conquistador. And it, it felt like such a cheat. And such a sort of like a mishmash between those two moments. That's what that is the moment that actually broke it for me. I was like, now we're into waffly bollocks rather than. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't feel that at all, though. I mean, mm. I, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say like, you know, as a writer, but like. No, you can because you are. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that. Like, the movie knows that it's breaking that rule at that point, mm. right? Like, it knows. It's supposed to be startling. Mm-hmm. That you're like, wait a minute. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if they're reincarnated or whatever. I mean, I'm just along for the ride. And it's like, wait a minute. That's that guy from the future narrative. Yeah. Like, how is he here? What's going on? I mean, it's supposed to be startling. Um, I, think, I think what's amazing to me is that uh, like you said, you have you have to use your brain with this movie. I think that you have to use your brain to get to like the conclusions that I've gotten to, mm-hmm. which I don't know if they're definitive. I I might feel differently tomorrow, but or think differently. But um, what I think is most amazing about this movie is that I'm just along for the ride. And mm. like you said, you know, like it's every shot is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean. Every shot is all like it's beautiful. The music is beautiful, is wonderful. Um, and it's so concise. I mean, this movie is like, you know, what one hour, hour thirty seven. Yeah, one hour thirty seven. It's really I was surprised at how short it was. And you know, I love that. And but the other thing is that every scene is emotionally right. Mm. Like, you know, and there's this thing that you know that I've realized as a writer which is that I, I plan out stories kind of, you know, super structural. I'm a structuralist. I know mm. all the story beats usually before I start writing. But when, it, when I know a scene feels right emotionally, you have to go with that. This is a movie that every single scene feels right emotionally for me. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's gone for that every fucking time in a really daring way and every scene has a heart and is stunning and and is resonant and right and you know and and that gives it its kind of allegorical feeling but i can see like that's seeing that transfigured guy in the mayan narrative is such an interruption yet yeah that's true but it it feels right it feels like it's one of those moments where you think like oh i can't do this as a creator Right. Like that's from that other narrative. But it's like, no, they're all overlapping. That feels right. It feels right to me. Uh, 
no, no, I, I know what you mean, and okay. I and I no, and I agree to the extent that with that future narrative, that that sort of projection to future and where it heads, especially in that last sort of the, the third act, <clears throat> it, it 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 feels. I agree. It feels right in that emotional sort of like it's bound to happen, but it doesn't mean it makes any bloody sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's it's one of those things of like, I see this in a lot of films, and you sort of see it with a twist. It's it's sometimes when you see, um, you know, the reveal in a horror film or the reveal in a thriller or something, you go, yeah, that's I can see why you've gone there, and I can see why you've done that. Like I can see why it's you know the long lost whatever, but. I don't like it, <laughs> um, and I, I sort of feel that like with this, with the end of this film is like I like there's so much I like about this film, and then that, that one moment where they collide those two together, um, it, it needs to happen in what it's. I'm trying to explain. Okay, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna use Grant Morrison as a, as a comparable on this. I'm sorry, it's it, it's the only my only source of reference on terms of reference for this. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison has this sort of notion that, you know, and, and whether people like it or not, or whether it works for people is, is a different question, but he uses this this idea that the comics he creates are, in fact, a different universe. Like, it exists. It's just a 2D universe, and sort of, like you know, whether he believes it or not, it's a different, it doesn't matter, but that's what he presents. So there are times that sort of, like, you know, they'll have, like, fourth wall breaking, or they can have these things where... Um, there'll be comments like in, in the recent uh, his Green Lantern. There's a moment where Green Lantern's like, "Hang on, did you feel that? Like that felt like a real shift. Like something happened between panels. Like there's, you know, there's a mm. there's these things like you know the characters that exist in a, in a sort of uh, in his Animal Man, the the characters that exist in some sort of like limbo land until they are used again and all this other stuff. And that sort of like when when you do that sort of thing, and you can do things like that, like inter-panel things, or you can have two narratives that then sort of collide because you're like, well, they actually they technically exist in the same book. Like you are holding a book, so they exist in the same book. So yes, they can talk to each other. When you play that out, you go, yeah, all right, it can sort of work. I can see where you're going with it. But it's sort of usually sort of set up in some way. Like this didn't feel like that's been set up. It just felt like. Right now they're going to collide together. Like you know, there's not enough. I didn't feel there was enough to to bring those the conquistador and that future thing to have to to earn that overlap. Um, well, I mean, I think the way that it's set up is that you know that that is the ending that he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, true. it's like you you know you're watching a dramatization of a work of fiction within the movie. And you know where her narrative ends, her work mm-hmm. ends, and where his begins. And so you know, oh, this is what he wrote. <laughs> you know, this is, and, and maybe it's daft, but this is what he wrote. And so the question isn't, I mean, like, I know what you're saying, and you and I are going to be on the same page in all of those yeah. horror movies <laughs> where we're like, yeah, interesting twist. Fun twist. <laughs> he wasn't the brother all along. You know? yeah, like, exactly. He didn't work this through. But this isn't that kind of movie. This mm. is not, I mean, you're literally, I mean, it's like if the horror movie, if that same movie started as like guys around the campfire and they said, I'm going to tell you a story about the, you know, the uh, crook hooked 
killer of the woods. And then the whole movie told that. And at the end, you're like, it's the brother. And you cut back to the campfire. That's a lot more forgivable because mm -hmm. now it's a twist that those guys came up with. And the fact that it doesn't totally make sense kind of itself makes sense. Yeah, um, no, uh, yeah I, I know what you're saying. And that, that's almost like the, but what I'm saying is this film does enough in other. Like, OK, there's this. Give me I'll give you an example of something else in this film. Isabella, this is and this is something I love. Like it really struck me. This did when you're introduced to Isabella and he walks into that room with the floating candles, right? And they're all hung up, and it looks fantastic. Isabella is wearing a brown dress, and she's she, she wears this. This is sort of like her the outfit that defines her, sort of like different periods in time. She's wearing this brown dress. It's 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 got it's brown on it. And what you find is from a point is when you see that dress, the brown is shaped like a, the the trunk of a tree. And down the back of her dress is is this collection of roots. And when you are first introduced to her, there's a veil in front of her, like a, a wooden um, veil, a wooden partition between her and the conquistador and the, and the other people. And it's made up of leaves. Like so when in a you kind of confessional. Exactly, kind of yeah. And she's there writing something. So when you first see her, she is presented as a tree. <laughs> For want of a better phrase, like the costuming tells me she right. is linked with this tree. So when you get to the end, you know, in the in the uh, when when Izzy dies and you have that tree on um, the on in the bubble, that's where I'm going. Oh, that's the tree that's grew out of her because oh, she right. is the tree. You're right so, about that. And so, okay, again, I'm like, okay, good, I'm fine with that. That because it's it's brilliant and it's really you know it's nice and subtle and it's beautifully done. And also the fact that, like, you know, she is writing and she is sort of like, you should, when you are introduced to uh, Queen Isabella, she's writing and she sort of makes a reference to sort of writing then. So, again, this connection of fiction, this idea of, of writing things between Isabella and Izzy. So, I'm, again, I'm sort of like, OK, this is a continuation. So there's these themes. And again, like you say about this idea of death, like, you know, the, each uh, new thing as well. So that sort of, to me, projects into the future. So you have this idea of the tree going through to the future when you go to, through to the present their bed you know when you're sort of in their bedroom the head of their bed carved into the wood is a big star mm -hmm. projecting again into the next element so it's all there like you're going okay this is this and that goes into that like, the, 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 again like this is all background stuff and i love the fact that they've done this wonderfully woven and there's more there's so much more mm -hmm. that when you look around you spot these things and there was a couple of things where I had to rewind, and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to check that, because I spotted something there. And they have the more forefront stuff, like when she goes to the Mayan Museum, and you see, the, they tell you about the First Father. So if they're going to do that, and that's great, and I'm, you know, that's where I'm going, there's all the stuff I'm loving, mm -hmm. then they need to have this idea of fiction woven into this so much more, in a much more sort of substantial way. This idea of sort of, um fiction being so important um because the book is important the story is important to her and i you know so i was hoping that they would have something along the lines of how because maybe i missed it but this idea of you 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 said it like this idea that fiction is what we have it's how we remember people it's how we can you know you can write these things down but that's never like 
fundamentally so not it's not it doesn't have to be said but i wanted something more that says about how fiction is important in this narrative how we can sort of project things we can you know the people we can't save in real life we can save in fiction and all this other stuff which is important to our sort of human stories and it just felt so when that thing happens at the end and the two sort of like you know those fictions collide or overlap it would have been better if that idea of you know the importance of, of overlapping or colliding fictions or whatever had been woven in that little bit more like other elements had been i see what you're saying i don't disagree with it i mean you mm. know the structuralist in me is like yes put yeah. that conversation in just one little conversation with izzy before she dies about the role of fiction i'd, I'd have with, a, yeah, yeah. Like a, a small conversation with the conquistador and someone talking about you know have yeah. him talking to the father about the stories in the bible and saying like mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah i don't believe them all right. you know because they're supposed to as you said they were all literalists mm-hmm. but like well yeah but they do tell us more these fictions tell us more, you know, then have something in the present that's more about the use of fiction and how it can help, and then so on and so forth. Like that would have been a much there'd have been something there. I think I could have hung my hat on a little bit. I, I mean, I think I think you're right. Um, you know, the the counter argument that I would make is that in a movie where so much is indicated visually, that title card is from her book. True. You know, okay. You're yes. watching that book. Yes. Uh, you know, this is an adaptation <laughs> of the book that he wrote using her material yeah. as like a third of it. Um, so, I mean, I do think it's there. But but the other thing that I that I that I would say is that um, I think you're right structurally. I mean, I think that is the right answer. However, you don't have to understand anything about this movie. Mm. Like, you know, you can do this intellectual work. It's there. What I love about this is like, you know, you were talking about like movies that have like a twist, right? Yeah. And, and you know, like the classic detective story is like, who's the killer? And yeah. in a good detective story, you know, it was always could only be that answer. Right. Mm-hmm. And that you had the clues, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's one answer. And so you do that work and and you have to do that work. This is not that kind of story. No. This is it doesn't matter if you get to any answer. It doesn't matter. It's it's a it's an allegory, it's a it's a mystical experience and the more I see this, the more I realize that I mean, this is going to sound so corny, but this is a movie that benefits from scraping at it. And, you know, picking that bark off and and, and getting (laughs) at the truth. But ultimately what matters is the emotional experience of that allegory. What matters is if you feel something, if you were taken somewhere and those emotional responses to scene after scene, like your emotional response while it was a negative response to the transfigured, you know, lotus position dude appearing in the Maya <laughs> narrative is, you know, that emotional response is ultimately what matters here. Mm. Um, you know, if you if you watch the ending with him being consumed by the Nova and, and sort of merging with the tree and the tree blossoming. You know, does that make sense? I mean, <laughs> Does that mean that they're they're now one entity together? I mean, you know, what matters is, is, is it emotionally resonant to you? 
does it express a, a mystical truth to you? If it makes sense, I mean, it doesn't literally make sense. But then again, I, I retreat and I say, what's heartbreaking to me is that that doesn't happen. Is mm. that, you know, we want to believe that we're, you know, it's it, it's like the idea that like you you plant a somebody's, you know, w- what Izzy had that vision, right? Of like she had a dream of like the, a Mayan told her that, when you die, you know, the first father was, you know, consumed and whatever, and that, you know, he was in uh, this tree and that when, you know, birds ate from the fruit, now he was flying. Mm. That's some John Donne fucking lies, yeah. right? Like, that's just like, no, you're dead. Yeah. Some of your biological material might be now in that bird, but you are not flying, right? And I hate that kind of sophistry that kind of equivocation mm-hmm. but it's still poetic and it's still touching i think what's heartbreaking for me is i get i this movie can give me that emotional shit right and i can totally embrace it but it also gives me this logical framework where i can accept all of that because it's a work of fiction and because there are those answers there if you want to scratch and I can go on that. Okay, I can open my heart to this emotional journey and to what's being presented scene by scene and go on an emotional journey. And I have that logical framework there if I want it. And the interaction between those two is itself kind of heartbreaking to think like, yeah, that's a story we tell ourselves. That's some John mm. Donne poetry there, right? You know, you don't live on in that bird. No, no, and I, I agree with that. I mean, that's one of the things I did like about this film is um, there are bits and pieces in this film that I think are great. You know, like I say, there's um, I'm, you, you and I share a sort of similar philosophy when it comes to this thing. Like, you know, like yeah, you know, when I'm dead and I'm buried, you know, yeah, plant a tree in me, whatever you want. I'm not a part of that tree. Well, I am. I take, no, you say, I'm not. I am. Will be a part of the tree. I will be sustenance for that tree, or whatever. Doesn't mean I'm going to have you know some mystical experience as a you know a leaf um it's it's not that i i get that i'm not gonna have some sort of like consciousness within that 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 living being um but what the thing and again this this comes to where sort of like you know i the things you are like there, there is an emotional reaction to this film and i like that ending forget the floating bald guy because again it's sort of uh, it, is, it is jarring and I don't like it and it doesn't help that it's a floating Hugh Jackman in pyjamas and it felt a bit silly um, and that's fine but that moment when he does get to that meditative state and he's sort of like you know he's floating towards um, uh, Shabala, uh, Shabala but you know in, he's in that position and the tree is behind him and as he gets as he gets closer that thing sort of like is spinning around beneath him and and then when the Nova goes, there's a great moment when it sort of like, instead of it, it obviously does that thing, it sucks into itself. It can compact down to the, you know, the idea of the Big Bang. And again, it obviously links back to that because it's this com- compaction of matter and, and, you know, energy into this infinitely small point and then it explodes. And in that moment, there's this idea of, of you know, uh, in the moments of death come, uh, you know, this, like, this moments of creative creation. And that's what it is. And I do, I actually like that thing where they're sort of like, you see him blasted and his clothes are blasted off and then he's sort of like, he's being vaporised. But in the same moment, the tree is growing and it's sort of like absorbing this energy or whatever. Like, 
I really like that actually. That moment looks cool, and that's sort of the ending. That's sort of you're left sort of with that. Um, all those moments. But what I sort of got from this, especially from the middle bit, or let's say the sort of present day narrative, was this idea. And it's a little cliche, but it sort of felt I strongly felt it was this idea of all the time, and it's clearly there, but all the time he is sort of spending trying to save Izzy. This this energy that he's putting into sort of saving her, you know, he spends at the hospital and it keeps coming back to this one moment and I love it. It's so well done, sort of this idea of and again it's sort of this is the subtleties of this this film. Um she he has this memory or this sort of hallucination. He keeps going back to it. She's sort of like she's all wrapped up and she's like, You got oh, no, let's go for a walk. It's the first snow of, of the season. And he's like, I can't, just leave me to it. I've got to continue with this work. They're relying on me. And he's doing the work to save her, but his dedication means he's he's actually literally missing out on moments with her and that's what's heartbreaking to me because there's a there's a moment where he's in the hospital and they find out that this thing is regenerative regenerative or whatever you call it rejuvenative it's sort of helping the ape it's got this sort of its synapses and its bodies are all you know recuperating but the tumor is never dealt with um and the, his boss is going like, these are great results. Look at what we've got. Like, you know, we can do this great stuff. And he's going, but it's not the results I want. I've got to keep working. And even she's going like, you are, your energies are directed in the wrong place. You know, get yourself to the hospital. Yeah, and her, spend his time boss. Him. Yeah. Right. You know, his, his female boss says, what are you doing? <laughs> you yeah, listen, what are you doing here? Like, get, yeah. she's in hospital. You should be there with her. And that really resonated with me, this idea of, like, you know, he says we're going to cure death. You know, death is a disease we're going to cure. And in fact, it clearly happens. Like, that's that's what the future self tells me. But it was a waste because he still didn't save Izzy. And I'm like, and to me, the bit that like, is heartbreaking to me, and it, it really does resonate with me, and I'll, you know, is this idea of, like, yeah, you could, you know, you could spend this time, you can justify your time in one way. But, you know, life goes on. Like, shit keeps moving. And, you know, yeah, we're doing this. And it's, you know, like, this, this, I sit in this office, fucking day in, day out. <laughs> and, you know, for other reasons, just so you know, listeners, like, I work here. Like, this isn't just, I don't just sit here. He waiting makes podcasts podcast. 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> You do, you know, you could do that, and but then you've got to go out. You've got to interact with people. There are, you know, and this will, like, you know, you and I talk. We we talk before and sometimes after that you record, and this, you know, you get that interaction, and you get that you build a relationship with friends and family, and you know those people that are important, and or you can give a justification of well, I've got to work and I've got to do this, and that's important, and sort of like you know I'm doing this for you, so you've got a future, and you go well, you, but you're missing the present. And that's the thing, and that's the thing that kept coming through to me, was like, you know, this is a story about, because this is a story about regret. Like he spent thousands of years or hundreds of years or whatever to get to this point of being able to get to Shabala because of uh, Shabalba, to basically try and redeem himself for the moments he lost when Izzy was alive. And so I know you know you said it's narrative, but to me, I see this person at the end of this film that has dedicated like. They've literally conquered death so he could redeem himself with this grand act um, in, you know, in the far future. And I'm like, 
this is this idea of grief and moving on and stuff. And, but this, but he's obviously so haunted by this one moment. It's sort of like it's centralised into this one moment, this walk in the snow that didn't happen. Um, and that's yeah. what's heartbreaking to me. It's absolutely sort of like you know, because he, he, they they replay it, don't they? He gets the opportunity to do it again, and he chooses to do it this time. Um, which, which is one of one of the key scenes that makes me say, yeah, the present day stuff is is fiction too. Not yeah. only because you need it for the future stuff to make sense. Mm. Yeah, but it, it, that's what I sort of kept saying. I watched this film, and I was like, when I was watching this moment, I'm like, you know, th- this is obviously this is a film about grief. This is a film about sort of um, regret and hmm. um, looking back and going like, look, what what if? Or what could I have done differently? Um, and so, yeah, when you get to the sort of like the floaty monk stuff, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I sort of like you said, like you said, it felt right because of the way it was heading. Like it's clear that that's what's going to happen. But I'm still like, that's not what I'm taking from this film, and maybe that's why it didn't work mm-hmm. for me. But you're right, like, the emotional impact of this film is um, is important. You know, we, you can take different things from it, but that's where I, I was more focused on that present day than I was on the different pieces. But like, you know, that that thing of like the tattooing as well, when he sort of like he has them up his arm, and he actually says at one point like they're rings around his arm, mm. like he's continued mm-hmm. to do that tattooing like a tree, like a tree. And it says yeah. he said he says about memories. He says all those years, and you've been with me, and all these memories, all those memories. And it's like. He has those memories, but there are obviously those moments he wishes, like he was either at the surgery. He lost the ring, you know, when he loses his ring in the in the in the uh, surgery, um, and how mm. important that. He obviously replaces it with that with that tattoo. But the, the, it's, it's that point of like, you know, you you lost yourself, you lost this relationship at that surgery, at that sort of at that laboratory. That's what that meant to me. Was like, you've pissed yeah. away some of this in that laboratory, like you know, a part of and, you. And- part, yeah, and it's and it's a little direct as a metaphor, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But damn it, if it doesn't work. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple thoughts about what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, one is that, you know, although I see that that future narrative as fiction, it is deeply emotionally resonant that this mm. is what we do for love. Mm. You know, like I would go. We say I go to the ends of the earth. This guy goes to the ends of the universe, you yeah. know, for yeah. her. Um, and that love doesn't die. And that love carries forward. And that's that's love. Um, you know, it's emotionally resonant. The thing about him in the present, I respond to very strongly, too. And I think that as I get older, um, I am more the Hugh Jackman who would go for the walk in the snow. Mm-hmm. And I think wisdom mm-hmm. gives you that. You and I are both men. Yeah, we both are men of a certain class. Uh, we are both prone to workaholic tendencies. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, and we have these ideas of accomplishment, right? Of, of being a conquistador, or mm. you know, being the doctor who you know makes this discovery that changes everything, you know, and being, you know, taking pride in being good at our jobs. And a lot of us have had, have had, um, I speak, I'll speak for myself, have had, you know, fathers who took pride in their work in, you know, uh, sort of um, 
you know, work ethic, mm-hmm. but who weren't there emotionally um, or didn't know how to be there emotionally. Um, watching this, I think about people I've lost. Uh, I think about where I was when I first saw this. Um, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't compare to a wife, but I, I recently lost uh, a dog. And she was on hospice for a very long time. Um, there'd be days where I barely saw her. But I then I think, you know, I need to be present for her. And I would spend a good portion of the next day petting her, touching her, reassuring her, giving her treats, you know, mm-hmm. playing with her. And, and really making sure that I was present so that I didn't regret that time. Um, and I've learned that, you know, I mean, I'm a different man now than I was at 25 when I, mm. when I would have said all that matters is that work. And when I've been close to death and had opportunity to think about it, it's, you know, it is the love that we remember. You know, I was overwhelmed by a sense of love and I was overwhelmed by a sense of, I could remember every petty stupid thing that I'd done and how filled with life, how filled with love my life had been and all the people I'd known, you know, parents, friends, girlfriends, how much love was there and how much love I had, but how wrapped up in, you know, just petty, stupid shit that you're, you not, not only are you not going to remember on your deathbed, but you're not going to remember in a week, you know, like, did this person talk, use the right word talking to me or something or, you know. It's it's interesting because you say that. So I I actually went to a funeral uh, a week ago, um, which was interesting sort of going to, uh, going to a funeral, sort of like, you know, literally after you just turned 40, puts things in perspective a little bit. But um, it was actually for uh, Alex's, my wife's aunt. Um, uh, she died of cancer. She'd been sort of dealing with it for some time, and you know she'd sort of gone into remission and then come back, and it'd been a bit of a roller coaster. And finally, it sort of took her in October. Oh, sorry, end of November. And um, I was never close. I've met her, I've met her a couple of times. You know, that side of the family I knew them, but not not in an intimate way. You know, not not close. Alex knew obviously a lot better than I. But you know, you go to thing and you observe, um, and you know, obviously pay your respects and stuff. But there were two things there that sort of like you see the people that she had affected <clears throat> and she was a teacher and she taught adults and it was interesting to see the people that stood up and were like, oh, no, this is you know, she had this impact on my life or this she was this friend. And it does make you think. Um, and that's again, like watching this film, having that in the back of my head, I'm, I was like, that's probably why it sort of centered this film for me on that and that, that this idea of the, the moments. Um, but she played. She played. She play anything. She dead. But like, well, <laughs> they played at the funeral. Uh, the specials. Uh, enjoy yourself. You know the lyrics. Sort of enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Mm. Uh, you know, and enjoy yourself. Uh, you know, um, the years go by as quickly as a wink and all this other stuff. So, but the, the, the lyrics of that song sort of like stuck with me for that same reason. Again, watching this film, I'm like, th- this idea of time passing. And time passing in different versions. It shows you three different versions of time, you know, like whether it be fantasy or fiction or whatever. But this idea of sort of like, you know, 
um, the 14, 1500s through to present day, through to the far future. And this idea of just time passing and this idea of the devotion to someone that, you know, that whether you, you love or friends or whatever. Um, and again, it felt interesting to watch, you know, her, her husband and her son and sort of, you know, these are the people reminiscing about sort of like times past and this idea of time passing and how important it can be. You need the passing of time to form memories and memories are, are important. And that sort of stuck with me. And so I think when I was watching this film, this idea of memories and, and those key moments in people's lives and, and, and how we can influence them. And again, that sort of thing of making the right decision of saying, no, I am going to put this down and we are going to go for a walk or, you know, I'm going to do this instead of this or whatever um, is important. And I will admit right here and right now, like, you know, I'm not always good at it. Like you say, like, you know, I am definitely guilty of, people in my life saying you know have you got a minute and i'm going like no i've got to get this finished or i'm doing this or i'm doing whatever or worse saying yes but then being fucking stroppy about doing it you know sort of like yeah fine we'll get we'll, we'll do it and then you know being a dick about it but you you know you do realize as you get older you've got to do these things and you, the other thing was there was a mark twain quote um which is was hugely um <laughs> relevant to me which was my life has been a series of tragedies, most of which never happened. Mm. Um, and I'm often like that. Like I have anxiety where I'm like, I will work shit up in my head where I'm like, I've got this meeting on Thursday. It's going to go badly. I know it's really going to be difficult. And I'm for the rest, I, I won't sleep for that week. And it happens and it goes fine. And you come out the end of it and you're like, why? Why, why, why did I yeah. spend so much energy on that? Um. <laughs> And so that was sort of all that sort of been playing in my head a little bit. And I think, you know, so watching this film and watching it when she, when she does pass and that moment when sort of um, she does pass and the rage in him, you know, he tries to bring her back and he sort of blames the doctors and this other stuff. And I'm like, it's not, he's not angry. I, I love the fact that like, it's clear he's not angry with them. Mm. Like in that moment, like it's clear, like he's still so angry with himself um, and I completely sort of understood that. And again, so going back to was like that meant so much that it was like, okay, that's the sort of the important bit. That's what I'm taking from this. And then so when he dedicates however long to this idea of getting to um, Shabala, just sort of like it meant, so I was like, okay, that's really important. Like he sort of, that's what I meant, but it's, it's about regret, you know, and redemption. Like he, this isn't so important to this act. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of where I was. Sort I mean, of my head was at. I, I love what you're saying, brother. And you know, <laughs> I I was thinking yesterday about how um, we spend so much time. I mean, to that Mark Twain quote, we spend so much time being anxious about things that you know either don't matter, yeah. or we have no control over. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I was thinking, you know, what I mean, what uh, often occurs to me is that 99% of our worry and anxiety is for nothing. And mm. it does not make us better at dealing with that thing yeah. because we yeah, yeah. It, it, it does not improve anything. It just makes us miserable. Um, but what I was thinking yesterday was, you know, when I was 16, I was worried about, you know, 
what clothes I was wearing and what it expressed about me as a person mm. and what bands I was into and whether a girl liked me, whether I was, you know, <laughs> what I was really worried about was whether I was lovable, whether I was likable, mm-hmm. whether I was worth a shit. Um, and then, but I wouldn't have been scared of COVID. I wouldn't have been scared of dying in a car accident. I wouldn't yeah. have been scared. I mean, I, you know, that wasn't going to happen to me. You're immortal. You're immortal when you're 16. Right. And now like, no, you know, I, I worry about these things, you know, now I worry about real things. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people, I don't have kids, but it's like, they'll have a kid and be like, oh, now I know what there is to worry about. You know, I used to worry about some bullshit. Now I know. Um, yeah. So that, that comes back to me. Um, and, and, you know, it's often the, the walks in the snow. Mm. that we remember most um when i when i first watched this i'll drop this now um it was 2006 and and i watched this with um my girlfriend at the time uh nancy who was uh, is still the the longest relationship i've had uh was in hawaii and uh her father had uh, just died of of cancer and he had been dying for a while and then and then he went pretty quickly um and i went to the funeral um but i did not go to the hospital and she said no don't come and uh and i was busy being stupid you know i mean mm-hmm. we met when you know she was sort of like young 20s when i was and i was late 20s and um you know, I was busy being stupid and caring about, you know, my career and, you know, all my anxieties and, you know, um, and, uh, we, we watched this in the theaters and I've never had an experience like this in my life. At the end of this, uh, we just began to cry and we held each other in the theater and cried through the entire end titles um, over the finality of death. And and now looking back, I think we loved each other very much, mm. but we were still young and stupid and, you know, we would fight. I don't yeah. remember what any of those fights were about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were about dumb shit, like, you know, being inconvenienced and not feeling the other one respected our time enough or, you know, words or dumb, <laughs> didn't respond dumb to a, didn't, yeah, didn't respond to a text within a certain time frame. Right. And then I'm not going to let this be the new rule of the relationship. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to fight and fight, you know. Uh, and it was all that petty, stupid shit. And... But there was love there. And, and in time, it's the, it's the love that you feel. It's the mm-hmm. love that matters. It's, it's the... That was a wonderful moment uh, watching this film. Um, and that pettiness that I had and she had was, you know, no, being angry. I've got to work. I've got to, you know, that sort of distraction from mm. what really, really matters. And that doesn't mean like, the relationship has to survive. It doesn't mean like this is your Isabella. You yeah. are born and reincarnated forever. You know, it just means these are the memories we have at the end. Yeah. No, I, I, there's definitely that. 
this idea that you said, and, and I love that. That I love, I love the fact you were able to do that in the cinema. I think I'd have, uh, you know, firstly my Britishness would not allow me to show any emotion outside of the house. You know, it's not. We're not. There's a law against it here. <laughs> there definitely will be under Boris anyway. Um, but yeah, no, it, it feels. You know, you can. You can. Do, the, the other thing is, I actually want to flip this round a little bit. In that. And, and this becomes, becomes a bit of a, a Hollywoodism or a commercialism, is this idea of soulmates. Mm. It, it does dally with that idea, doesn't it? This sort of like, you know, this idea of, because it has the, the actors playing Tomas and, and Isabella. Um, and then obviously, the, you know, that has the, the, this idea of this, this grand uh, mission to space to, to get to this, this dying nebula for this thing with this tree of life. Or with this tree that's grown out of out of us. So the, the, this is where I sort of how to explain it. We've talked about these things, this idea of there's moments in life, and the, you know it's about the finality of death, and we do like you know we we cling to these ideas, whether it be religion or whatever, to sort of to help us deal with death because we we have grief, we miss these people, and that's completely understandable and completely acceptable. But then you get these ideas that become these things in Hollywood films of sort of like, you know, okay, well, beyond this point, you know, you've then almost got to like dedicate your life to the memory of that person or they are your soulmate and this other thing. And it becomes almost, to me, not dangerous, probably too strong a word, but worrisome that then you're like, oh, so you're telling people that they should move (laughs) on. You know, there has to be some grand moment for them to be able to sort of like break through their grief. And that feels dangerous from a mental health point of view when you're like, you've got to carry this weight around. No, you're supposed, if anything, it should be a moment you do go, this person has died, you know, has passed. And I, you know, I do miss them and I grieve for them and it's heartbreaking. And there are moments when I don't know what to do with myself because I feel that, that sadness or whatever. However, there are other people in my life that are still here and bring joy to me. And I, you know, I want to take that because now I have this realization that we are only here for a period of time and it does stop. And so I don't want to sort of have those moments soured by this. It, do, do you know what I mean? It sort of feels. Yes, I do. I know exactly what you mean. Hugh Jackman should. I mean, so watch, watching this this yeah. time, I thought, I mean, I, I find Izzy's death and her being ready to go when he's mm. not ready to let her go. Very touching and very painful and very true to life. Um, however, I, I found I found myself feeling like it's almost as if she wants to say, I want you to move on. Yes. Like finish this book, but like don't you know, I mean, he's still relatively young. And so many couples when somebody dies young or middle age, you know, um, the partner who dies will say, please move on with your life. Mm. Don't grieve me forever. Don't turn me into a, an icon, yes. a fetish object to venerate uh, and stay static, like you're saying. Um, and I do think it's dangerous what you're mm. talking about. I would use that word. But um, she doesn't say that. No, she doesn't. No, no, no. And, and really what he should do is finish grieving you know, finish the book and be a better colleague to these wonderful people at his work and say, like, I'm sorry to his boss. And, you know, um, 
take take the time to spend to be present with them. Mm. I think you're right. That is dangerous. And I and I, it does play into this trope. And, you know, like we're united forever. And, you know, literally the soulmates. Right. Like because that, that comes from Plato writing, writing about, you know, sort of two halves of the same soul mm. that are split. I mean, preposterous nonsense. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, it is dangerous and it, it causes people to fixate. The only thing that I would say to that, I agree with you, but the only thing I would say is that uh, my reading of this is that this is his grieving process. Mm. Writing that is his grieving process. And when you're in the throes of that pain, you want to go to the end of the universe and be with that person forever. I would have died to save my dog. I mean, mm. I'm a human being. I would, yeah. I, you know, I'm a, a, a smart motherfucker. I would have died to save that dog's life. Um, and that's what love is. But you grieve and you move on and you've got to be there for the people who are in your life. And, you know, it is what it is. Um, so, I mean, my so I agree with you 100 percent. I always think that's dangerous in, in movies. I would just say my reading is that what we're getting is the byproduct of that. Someone working product. through their grief. Right. That, that that sounds like a healthier output. <laughs> but the character of t uh, Tommy in this isn't that because he spent thousands of years to do something else to, to redeem himself for this simple act. Um, in the fountain that he writes. Yeah, yeah I get that. But in the, as I mean, I'm saying, the characters we see on screen yeah. The narrative I'm following on screen tells you you're saying this is the, you know you're saying yeah this isn't this is a narrative that someone has produced as a way of working through their grief and that's fine I understand that you know but there's what is actually on screen is mm -hmm. a character that spends hundreds of years battles death and aging to 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 get through a moment and it actually takes the destruction of a nebula for them to sort of go oh yeah I should move on oh shit I can't move on <laughs> I've just been destroyed. Um, well, and maybe then he's reincarnated because he's like the yeah. first, the first father, kind of. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, so it, it's that sort of thing, and it sort of did make me think about that. So there is right. that you can get that element when I do, and I find that frustrating in Hollywood when they do have those moments. I mean, you know, we, it happens. It happens in real life. You know, you hear of, of especially elderly people that sort of like one dies and the other one dies soon after. You know, they say sort of through heartbreak or whatever, and obviously Queen Victoria sort of spent, you know the remainder of her life in mourning after the death of Albert, sort of, you know, these you things happen. that? About oh, no, well, she wore black, she wore black, and that was it, like, you know. She, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I think she was just a grumpy person, and she was looking for an excuse, and was like, Bob on, I'm happy now, I can I can be horrible to people, and I can then blame it on this thing. <laughs> um, But, yeah, th there is that. Um, But I want to go to, there's a couple of other things that I mentioned about this film that um, the, the, uh, Real quick interject that mm. the that the taking up of the traits of somebody who's died is also can be a good thing but is also dangerous right yes. and you see this often where it's like you know you know i kind of like this but now that that well you know i had a friend who who killed himself with a heroin overdose and, and one of the things we had in common was transformers lo and behold after he died <laughs> i started jumping back into collecting it hardcore um, where we take up these traits and and I think the completion of the novel, not just writing that final chapter, but then turning it into three times bigger, that's yeah. also potentially a dangerous thing. So just to cement your point. Well, it becomes the obsession, doesn't it? This, uh, this point of obsession um, 
that we justify as being like, no, 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 it's important for this person that's dead or like for their memory or whatever. Like it becomes this obsession. So, and I have seen it as well. Um, less less serious though, and that sort of thing. Um, I do want to go. There's a few moments in this film where choices are made, and it does feel like you you go right because everything else is, is so beautiful and so well done. But then there are moments, and maybe it's just in my head. Maybe this is more of a, a comment on me, I suppose, maybe. But especially the scene. So there's a scene where you go back and you see the Spanish Inquisition, and you see this sort of the chief inquisitor, and he's sat, and he's you know he's first looking self-flagellated, so he's you know he's whipping his back and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh Jesus, all that fine. I'm I'm ha- you know not happy, but I understand all that. But then you get to this, <laughs> you get to the moment where he's obviously got some uh, heretics that are hanging upside down. And he's given this speech and it sort of zooms out and a little bit and he's surrounded by these others, some in hoods, some in these whatever. And I could not get Life of Brian out of my head. Like I was expecting like one of those people hanging upside down to be like, excuse me, uh, you know, like I'm not supposed to be here today. Um, you know, or oh, no, I'm not a heretic. You are a heretic. He's not a he, He's a heretic. I'm not a heretic. Like, it just felt like this was so heavy handed it almost felt and i get this supposed to be fantasy to an element like it's a fictional thing but like if if this is what izzy was writing Mm. she needs an editor for a start (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it felt so heavy in parody that i almost felt like this was a comedy scene and it's one of the few scenes in the film where i'm like they've gone too far with this like there's there's a there's a this is one of those ones where you start to set, do the set or you do something you can pull this back because you've gone from feeling that this is a villain to feeling like this is a panto villain mm. you know this is some that's pantomime this is a bit too silly um and it, it literally made me chuckle when i was watching it i was like mm, if i'm chuckling at this then it's the wrong um you say about the emotional impact that like, you know i'm not supposed to be thinking this looks silly you know i'm supposed to feel that this is a threat to the queen um i don't know if you thought that there was, there was that scene in particular that just it just i was like mm. yeah i mean it, it's definitely it's it's overdone i mean yeah. it's melodramatic um <clears throat> i mean i i i guess i wasn't bothered by it this time i, I was probably bothered by it you know an earlier viewing mm. um it is it is overdone i mean i sort of find it to be i mean you know, the, to be describing a kind of mentality, you know, the, the sort of mentality that says this body is a cage and I'm freeing you by by killing you. Um, and the obviously the flagellants existed, you know, mm-hmm. and they still do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we have records of people going through medieval towns, you know, like, them, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and clearly deriving sexual pleasure from it, which they don't want to admit, um, you know, but, but also, um, knowing the real Ferdinand and Isabella, you know, I mean, they were monsters and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the irony of like, yeah, they confessed once I tortured them and they were <laughs> eager to die. Yeah. And so we're going to seize their, I mean, it's all, it's overdone. Mm-hmm. You know, but the whole Inquisition is overdone in a historical. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I sort of take it to be a depiction of a certain kind of mentality that says this body is a cage and I'm and I'm freeing you. Except. 
when I push too hard on that, then, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman's mentality and, and, the, and the sort of fiction that's presented has some of the same problems mm. in that the answer to your body is a cage. You know, this bullshit is like, no, if that's true, then why are you avoiding death? Right. Yeah. You know, you, you know, I mean, if you really believe you're going to an eternal paradise, you should not be sad about people dying and shouldn't be avoiding death. And if you are, I'm sorry, you're a liar. You don't really believe what you what you mm. think you do. Um, but in the same token, like that sort of dumb mysticism is replaced by I mean, that represents the darkness, the shadow of, pet, yeah, yeah. you know, the stabbing yourself with a pen, you know, but then, you know, there's this journey from darkness to light. But then the light is like this other mystical thing of being united with her forever and becoming a tree and, you know, sort of like Eastern Shambhala sort of stuff, yeah. you know, which, okay, it's, it's more beautiful. It's less destructive yeah. than, you know, uh, us good European uh, way of doing it. But um, it's also mumbo jumbo. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's, I like the idea to say that it's the it's the antithesis of the end. It's this idea of sort of like you say the or, the organized versus the sort of small, you know the openly spiritual. I suppose um, it, it's just yeah. I, I, I get the point. It was just the sort of setup, like because so much thought is put into so many other scenes that it just felt like this scene just felt so out of place. Um, and the the only other quibble I had with this film. You're right. Yeah. Um, the only other couple I had in this film is this is sort of like post Wolverine for Hugh Jackman. So this is him sort of trying to shake some of that off. Um, and and, and for, unfortunately, like he has certain traits that like, I think he has. I think he has. His, he he. I don't think he's ever going to win an Oscar. Like you know, let's not overplay it. But he has um, grown as an actor in certain roles. But there are certain things it's like there's a lot of Hugh Jackman eyebrows going on in this film. Um, and the way they film him, there's several scenes where he does like a turn or it'll, it'll be sort of like a focusing on his face. And all I can think of is like, well, you're bringing Wolverine to this role, aren't you? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's, it's not, again, not a bad thing, but it, I can get past it. But it was that quibble where I'm like... Um, where uh, Rachel Weiss is a very, I think, is a wonderfully subtle actress, and she's got, you know, she's, she's, um, you know, she, 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 I mean, she's just, she's a very good actress. Um, he, he, he often sort of like hits those melodramatic notes. Um, again, where I'm like, you know, it's a little heavy-handed, um, and it, you know, it's. It, 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 and I often think this when I watch a film, and I'm like, I wonder who who I would have cast separately, like who would have done this and done it differently. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it's just there's just a few moments where he does things, and again, I'm sort of like, you know, that made me. I'm grinning at that, and I don't think I should be, and it's because it's the way it's uh -huh. been presented, the way that's been shot. You know, looks they're, they're leaning into the silly when I don't think they should. They don't they don't mean to be. Um. But other than that, like, I, th I think this film is absolutely beautiful. Like the, the cinematography, the set design, and costume in it is 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 spot on um, throughout. Um, oh, that, there was one other thing. Sorry, there was something I was going to mention. So there was a thing about snow. That thing of walking in the snow. 
as well when she calls him out and he says no I can't go is the fact that like, the next thing you realise is she has no um, she's lost sensitivity because mm-hmm. she's she's sat and the the, the, the way they recognise it is because she's sat out on the balcony or sat out on the roof looking at the the nebula and she's not got any she hasn't got any shoes on and she can't feel the cold uh, in the snow and then later on he has up she sort of like, heats up the the sponge and he sort of runs down legs and she's like I can't feel that and like, again so this idea of sort of um, yeah, they're obviously linking to the to the tumor to say she's losing sensitivity. It's part of the brain sort of like you know dysfunction. But this idea of like the opportunity to have walked in the snow, which is clearly this sort of like this sensory experience that you experience, you know, the sense memories that you create. She can no longer have those, even though she's here. Like she can't have those anymore. Like again, sort of like makes that moment so much more important. You know, she can't feel the cold. She can't feel. So she couldn't feel the wind on her face. She couldn't recognize the feel of the snow and this other stuff. It's that sort of, to me, it was just saying sort of like, you know, inch by inch, the opportunity to have those mm. moments is being taken from him and he's not recognising it. It's just, it was, sorry, there's just something else I wanted to sort of throw in from before. Yeah, that's a good point. And it gets back to that theme of sort of embracing those moments mm. that really matter and being present. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, the thing about, I know what you're saying about Hugh Jackman. Um, and... I have not been especially in love with him in a lot of roles. I think he's fine as Wolverine. Um, I I think there are a few moments in this where I think that that tone is a little off or that's a little too direct. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is those sort of like spinning moments. Um, On the other hand, there are a lot of moments where he emotes where I think Mm. he's great. Um, and I think that if this were the only thing I knew him from, I'd think, oh, that was a good performance. Um, yeah. You know, not perfect, not as good as, as she is, as Rachel Weiss, but um, but it's a solid performance. And I think it's hard to detach actors from what we know them from. Apparently, Brad Pitt and uh, Russell Crowe were also considered for this. Yeah. Um, you know, neither of whom would be better than, uh, than Jackman, frankly. No. Um, but in in 2006, if that's your top line, Brad Pitt, Russell Crowe, and Hugh Jackman, that tells you exactly what thing they were looking for when they made this. So, yeah. But uh, uh, I mean, presumably a headliner. You yeah, know? exactly. It's a name um, that they can put on it. Yeah, but I mean, I think I think it's if not if not Hugh Jackman's best performance, certainly you know I mean, well, The Prestige is is up mm. there too. But I mean. You know, Hugh Jackman can do it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's not, uh, you know, an Oscar best performance of the year, but it's a serious performance. And I think this is one of those movies that shows he can do it. Um, but he yeah. do, he is upstaged by, I mean, Rachel Weisz is, is, steals the show. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic in this in, in, in every way. I think the thing is, because he's a stage actor originally, um, he's, a, he's a musical stage actor. And I think the the problem with Hugh Jackman, and I'll put this out there, one of the problems with Hugh Jackman is when the, 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 the moment you put him in a costume that's outside of the norm is that there's like a switch in him. <laughs> put, put him in like everyday clothes and he's all right. Like he can do a great performance. Put put him in a costume and all of a sudden he gets a little bit, you know, it's like, it's like you know, he ratchets that up to that next level and it's like, doesn't always need it. So, you know, in pyjamas in a bubble doing something, 
there's a few moments where I'm like, okay, just turn it down. And the same with him as the Conquistador. Um, it's the same in the films. Mm. It works in, you know, uh, Greatest Showman because it's a big musical. You know, those sorts of films. Um, but like, again, Prisoners with him and uh, this is a Denny uh, Villeneuve film. He's excellent in. Yeah. He's really good in. Um, but it's all normal clothes. I'm taking that as a rule now. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, there are certain actors who, you know, I mean, I, Russell Crowe and Brad Pitt are kind of the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. they've both done decent performances, but there's something of, you know, put, I mean, even Russell Crowe and Gladiator, I mean, you put somebody in, in I mean, Brad Pitt and Troy is one of the worst <laughs> yes. things I've ever seen in my life, you know, um, not for lack of trying, but the, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there is a costume rule that you're getting at, like... Yeah, put someone in a sort of like a period costume, and all of a sudden it all goes pear shaped. Uh, not pear, you know what I mean? There, but I, I, I mean, I love Gladiator, but yeah, in, there are moments in that as well when you sort of go, oh well, you know, does it's not for all of us. Um, but yes, and the thing is, I, I, I'm not sure there's much else I can say about this film. So it's, it's it's weirdly sort of like it, it, I think one of the things to say about this film is like, we've talked about films, especially recently, you know, with with um, Vanilla Sky and. and um open your eyes where there's like a real like narrative drive and there's sort of like you know it's all about those sort of characters and it's sort of like you know there's those moments that were so important and with, but with this film it's, it's an hour and a half long it's very concise it's very sort of pointed like and it felt um poetry is probably a good description of this film it's this film is to play like poetry mm. And so there's no real like you know I'm not looking for like character development I'm not they're not looking for like sweeping epic narratives like you know y- yes they are sort of there and I've already said my piece around the sort of the narrative structures but it's like yeah this film is more like say it's it's a, it, it's poetry about something yeah and, and I think it should be taken in that way you know if I was to rewatch it I probably will. Uh, at some point, like I can take it in that way rather than going, well, I want to see a film that has three acts and he's going to tell me yeah. the story about spending it across time. Yes, and I and I think that was the problem of this film. Is like, I mean, any movie that has three narratives um, is in trouble, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not generally a good. I mean, no. especially three timelines. What was what is that that Tom Hanks sci-fi film? Oh, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Yeah, that's another yeah. example of like, you know, like it's not bad, but that one is taking itself more seriously. And mm. this takes itself very seriously, but it's artistic and resonant. Yes. Whereas that one, you know, works less well. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's dull. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's got some ideas. But yeah, I mean, I think that the fountain works that you said is poetry. I think that um, great cinema is mm. able to um, speak to us and really make us feel and present a sort of audiovisual feast. Um, I can't imagine this in any other medium. Um, we'll, no. we'll get to that before before we go. But I mean, uh, I, I, I'm amazed at how there's a lot of plot. I would say there's a lot of plot. It's just that, like, I it's can't not- believe how compressed it is. Every scene feels amazing and i feel like you know resonant and i'm i'm there um i'm getting yeah. things from it. It, it there is there's a lot of plot but it's not the point yes yes right 
you know, the, the whole sort of story about him being the Doctor or the Conquistador or the future, like that, there are moments there is plot, but it's not about it's it. not yeah, it's not a narrative dri- driven film. I mean, you know, we talk about um we recently um discussed June. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that is a plot driven film. Like that's a film where you're like, right, well, in this scene, these things happened, and let's talk about that. And then you have to go through it piece by piece. Yeah, th- this isn't that at all. This is a very different sort of um, experience. Well, I mean, the Dune comparison is is apt because the stuff that I like most in Dune is the non narrative stuff. It's the mm. shots of the desert with the rolling, beautiful photography cinematography and you know sound design and you know just these shots that convey a feeling or a scene that conveys a feeling i mean this movie has taken that and gotten rid of as much else as possible and just boil it down cut 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 and i love that i mean Mm -hmm. um I'm, i'm very down on on david lynch um david lynch has terrible narratives but yeah. there's always like a few scenes that are just like, this is amazing. This is so beautiful. I want that. Like, stop trying to do the narrative, which you're not mm. good at, and just do the weird, beautiful stuff. Um, yeah. And I think this has more narrative than that. And I think the narrative works better than that. But I, but I think that it's hard to do that and pull it off. Um, I mean, I would say this succeeds you know, but it, it certainly succeeds a lot more than it fails. I would say so. Yeah. No, if, if I was to fall on that, I would definitely say this has more. Uh, I I came away with a with a positive experience. You know, yes, I refer to the, the final five ten minutes as waffly bollocks, but the other one hour twenty five works brilliantly and is stunning in some cases. Like absolutely beautifully filmed. Um. You know, you say about the cinema, cinematography. One of the things I would say is like, you know, um, this, we said about set design and costuming and that sort of thing. One of the things I do want to shout out as well is obviously the third act is clearly all CGI, like you know, they've been the bubble and, and all this sort of thing. Um, but the, when they're traveling through the nebula um, and the way it's sort of the surrounding, the way the sort of like the, it's lit and it's it's like the the CGI in this is again. Is stunning. It's really well done. It, it's it's you know it's just it's just it's excellent. I really enjoy looking at those things. It's not cheap. So so this uh, leads into my next point. Uh, but you know, you said you don't know what else to say. Okay, I'll give you the final topic, okay. which is um, what you can do on a shoestring budget. And you and I often talk about how. You know, I'm horrified. Right? Like $200 million to make a movie represents a failure of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we don't spend $200 million on a freaking fighter jet. That's a much bigger failure. But, um, you know, you and I like, you know, I mean, if you spend that money, fine. But I want to see it on yes. screen. Uh, the original idea for The Fountain was going to be a big-budget movie. And Aronofsky couldn't get it made. And, and they produced a graphic novel for Vertigo, um, yeah. and, which was sort of like, yeah, this is this failed project that was my, my fascination, and, I, and, you know, it's turned into a graphic novel. 
And then he figured out how to sort of strip it down and make it cheaper. Uh, including Hugh Jackman, the, the budget of this is $35 million. Wow. $35 million. And for all of these $100 million movies that look half as good as this, go F yourself, okay? Yes. You can make brilliant, stunning, stunning, stunning movies on, thir- I mean, $35 million is more money than you and I will ever see in our lives. It is a shocking amount of money. And this this was made for that. So you said CGI. None of that is CGI. Oh, wow. That's, How's it done? That's all, it's all macro photography of fluids like they did in the 60s. That oh, nebula that. is all like fluids in a petri dish shot. You know, <laughs> like, like, and it looks amazing. It looks so much better than the crap CGI we get in so many movies. And and you don't see like the Star Trek star fields moving, you know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it looks so good. It looks so amazing. And it was all made um they used as little cgi as possible uh so all of those space stuff is done with fluids old school style just with better cameras man <laughs> like, yeah. isn't that and awesome I, I love that knowing that makes it all the better i'm also i'd love to see this graphic novel as well i may have to track that down um but yeah i love knowing that practical effects always seem to always impress me um and so knowing that that is actually like that like you say that thing of like you know fluids in in you know water and sort of they pump gas into them to get different you know, different things i love all that stuff and it's i find that fascinating so that's really cool so again like, yeah watching this film and again there's not you know the space bit well even the conquistador like i like the fact it, one of the things i did notice and i will throw it, i said about the set design it's all closed sets they're very small sets so it's clear that they're trying to sort of like you know this one's four foot by five foot kind of thing like we'll keep it that but it works and it's fine and i never question it i don't need to question it um so yeah no that's really impressive 35 35 million is actually like seriously good i'm assuming it didn't make its budget back because it's no no (laughs) it made like 11 12 million back yeah total failure but I mean, like clearly, like those flowers coming up, which look great from mm. you know the conquistador. That's got to be CGI. Um, but uh, I mean, the one thing that always has bothered me is the the shot. Although I love, like, uh, I'm a huge fan of, um, uh, God, I want to say Lair of the White Worm, uh, which I'm a huge fan of too. But of uh, from Dust Till Dawn, mm. uh, and I love the sort of like Mayan temple, you know, and the far, I mean. Those motifs are are amazing, but the distant shot of the uh, tree of life behind the little facade of the Mayan temple has always bothered me. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing that visually bothers me in this movie is like, really, you couldn't see that from afar. Well, and like, you know, this is how well. big is this? The temple, the top of it, is entirely devoted to like this little garden with a. But it still looks cool. It does. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. There was was a part of me that questioned it because of that, for that very, very reason, because it has a door that you have to pass through. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me it's all fiction and it's got this mystical element. There was a part of me that's like, is the start of the door and the end of the door in the same place? Yeah. Is it a different, is he actually, is he literally traveled into a different, is it like, you know, dimension, whatever, like, there was a part of me that was like, I can accept it on that basis because it's already got this fantasy element to it. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's great. You say about the flowers coming out of him. 
when he drinks the sap from the the tree of life um there was it was an interesting thing of like the way it's done was very pg um and there was a part of me that's like other directors and it, this is my thought i'd have gone, I'd have gone full body horror <laughs> you know sort of like um and it sort of has a one there's one flash moment that I would say would be sort of considered body horror is when he finally sort of is succumb and you see the mm. plants come from his eyes and mouth. Yes. And I'm like, that that bit's shocking, but I'd have been like, I don't know, I'm going all the way. Like, I'm going to have him splitting open and I'm going to do like all kinds of like weird shit. Um, I, I, but then watching it, I'm like, it's not about that. Th- this is not that film. Um, this is about something else. So I, I was fine with the way they did it, but there was my little sick brain was like, oh man, I'd have had him splitting two and all kinds of stuff. Um, <laughs> I love I the shot though from overhead. You're right. Yeah, I love the shot from overhead where it's like the flowers yeah. vaguely in the shape of a body. The I, the only thing I would add to that is that the same thing that you don't like of that scene that you don't like of the Inquisition with the flagellation and then mm. the you know confessed down people people falling. I found myself thinking like you pull in on the flagellation Mel Gibson style, yeah. but yeah. you know. <laughs> The people falling, you don't show, and it's weird. This is this is you know, uh, Darren Aronofsky who did like had already done Requiem for a Dream. Mm. Like I wouldn't think he would shy away from that kind of stuff, but maybe it was it was to save money or uh, yeah, I, I, it felt like because the way it was done, that instant sort of changing to fast felt like a money mm. moment. You know, this is easier to do at this shot. Um, one thing I was curious about that the Tree of Life. It's literally it is. It's, it's the fauna like if it kills him it like well, it's not of life is it like it's just fauna it, sorry it's just flora like it only helps plant life <laughs> um yeah which i thought was interesting like it's not there well, to help it does heal the cut right um yeah but then he becomes a bush <laughs> well i mean i think yeah so it, it kind of like <laughs> it becomes a bush but then, like I, I was thinking watching that how um I mean, I know what's going to happen, but how um, I've been reading a lot about, you know, like and thinking a lot about microbiomes mm-hmm. and, you know, like how the second brain and how like, you know, there's a mushroom that, you know, can control an ant, make a yeah, zombie, yeah, ant, zombie, you know, yeah, like, yeah. we think we're in control and our ideas of consciousness and whatever. So I kind of like the idea that like the tree of life, like, yeah, it gives you life. But it also like makes all of these like bacteria in your gut like grow and evolve too. <laughs> you know, like it gives them life and um like all these like partially digested seeds in you like come back to life and grow into yeah. trees and shit. That's crazy. Yeah. No, that, that's that's more horrifying. Um <laughs> Yeah. No, but you're right, but that that, that, that you know, I I did kind of like that. Like you say, when it sort of pans out and there's a vague shrubbery in the shape of a person. Um, the Knights of Knee would be very impressed. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's good. So I think we, I think we are sort of there though. So let's let's just get into final thoughts. Uh, I, so, I just looked it up, and and the guy who did all that macro photography with uh, fluid dynamics and stuff, all those shots of the nebula and all the space shots, uh, he generated all of that for one hundred and forty thousand dollars <laughs> instead of millions of dollars for some dumb like you and i have watched a hundred movies that were two hundred dollars million or more 
where we just watched a climax and no, we're watching $20 million being spent on something we don't give a shit about. Yeah. This guy did that for 140. Oh man, that's impressive. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> give him all the films. Give him all the films. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 Let, let's I, cut the budgets. Yeah. We're in post-COVID, right? Like people can't go to movie theaters anymore. Let's cut yeah. all the budgets and get people to figure out creative solutions. I'll tell you what, even if, like, I want to feel, even if it's just like your opening credits, like I want some of that, like, you know, doing some stuff because it's really cool. Um, and it's, we're, we're, like, we're like 15 years on from this now. So 15, 16 years on. So let's see what we can do now. Like, you know, with those, like that, yeah, I want to see more of that. Um, oh, yeah. So Julian, so final thoughts on The Fountain. I love this movie. Um, and, and this movie gets better and better the more time goes on. Um, mm. You know, we reviewed movies where it's interesting how our opinions change over time. Um, and maybe it's because I, I know the first time my logical brain screwed with me and I'm like, yeah, the Inquisition wasn't really like this. Yeah, you're getting this history wrong. Uh, okay, whatever. Movies get that stuff wrong. All those you know, and you pointed out legitimate things. Um, you know, maybe the best point is about how dangerous this idea of Hollywood idea of love and, you know, mourning mm. could be. Um, however, um, however, um, maybe it's getting older. Maybe it's knowing what this film is. But I am just, you know open myself to it and go on this allegorical uh, ride. Uh, I think it looks amazing. I think, you know, scene by scene, I don't know what movie affects me more per minute by minute. You mm. know, I have more of an emotional aesthetic reaction. To me, that's sublime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, um, I I have to think. I think I have to sort of reframe this film because I I went in completely cold uh, with with a little bit of, of of like you know probably preconception like of what it was going to be, and I really thought this was going to be a reincarnation story. Um, and that was interesting. I was like, okay, it's going to be this idea, and and you know that's where the conversation is going to go. And so, but then watching the film, I'm like, oh no, this film's different. And I was digging it. Like, I'm like, okay, what is this? And it sort of reveals information and you put the pieces together as you go. And as I said, there are subtle hints in the background of, you know, the different scenes and how things are shown of like what's going to happen next. And all of that is really well done. And I was enjoying it. And there's some great stuff in it. You know, like you say, um, the, the visuals are just stunning. Like, you know, it's just, there are scenes in this where, like, the score as well. So we haven't talked about the score. Like we said, the, the music in this film is absolutely fantastic. Like, it's 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 superb, um, and it it really is. It really works. It's a really effective score. It's not overplayed. It's not overblown. It's just you know. But there are moments towards, um, especially in that future part with the way it's sort of set up it works spot on like it's like that moment of like you know the visuals and the music and everything's working in simpatico and it works brilliantly unfortunately there are also moments where i'm like i'm 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 grinning or smirking at it or i'm or i think this feels like waffly bollocks like it's, it's just that thing that's gone too far one way that i'm i'm, I'm struggling to keep this 
within the frame of what I'd already watched. Um, but like you say, this is this film. This film isn't weirdly considering it's a book. <laughs> you know, you, your idea, this idea, an adaptation of a book. Um, it's it's not prose. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not prose. Mm-hmm. This is poetry. This is a this is visual poetry, and I can see why it failed. Like this is one of those films where mainstream audiences or ma- mainstream. <laughs> yeah critics sort of rock up to this and they're like what why is wolverine bold like what's going on i don't understand what this film is about i thought i was getting some sort of medical thriller or something else like it's not that um and you know um i can see why it fell off the the board um but it's it is a film to be experienced it's one of those i'm glad i watched it but i think if i was to re-watch it with time come back and watch it again um, I think it would be, I'd probably have a different reaction to it. But you're right, I also think this film reacts, or you react to this film dependent on where you are with your life experience. Um, you know, if you're young and, you know, you think you're immortal and, you know, you don't worry about those long-term thoughts of, of you know, your own mortality or those around you, um, you know, you haven't lost anyone in that point, whatever. Like this film probably doesn't play in the same way as someone who's had loss, some life experiences, and whatever plays different to those. So it's, which again feels like poetry when you write. You know, you can read a poem or you can read some some, um, you know, some words, and they'll mean one thing to you at twenty five and one thing to you at forty five. So I feel that this film fits into that category. It's an interesting. It's an interesting one. Uh, when we get back to our, we're going to get to our season review um, in the next show, and I'm wondering where this will fit in oh, that idea. I know I've thought of this, and I know my answers. Yeah, but... I'm gonna, ha- I'm, I'm really gonna have to consider it because, you know, there's been some really great films we've watched, um, but th- this film feels different to some of those. Well, it might be hard to compare because it is is that sort of poetry mm. um, and i and i know that i think you're right about that i mean this is we're sort of conditioned you and i you and i like sort of like tinker Taylor, soldier spy the sort of you know like oh every piece is important yeah. and it's all part of this master deftly woven logical narrative and we're trained especially in the west right to enjoy that and mm. we're suspicious of these dumb twists in movies and these yeah. dumb moments where it's like, yeah, I know you thought that was cool, but that doesn't make any sense. Um, but those, those movies sort of, you know, inhabit that realistic world until they decide not to, yeah. uh, cause they just wanted whatever. Um, I, I find that, you know, for especially film, I love, you know, because it's a, I love the sort of like music video. I love the, uh, the audio visual feast. Mm. And um, if you give me that, I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons why I like Valerian. And, mm. you know, it's crazy. It has these crazy moments. Narratively, it still wants to be a logical movie, kind yeah. of like an episodic <laughs> logical movie. And it cannot, like, it would be better just like let go of it, make a little bit of sense give you know the structure of a narrative but just embrace the audiovisual thing but then as you say we're not trained to i mean this we're not trained to go see it and it would probably be a failure then 
And I think this is a kind of much more mystical, poetic movie than it is a, a logical uh, narrative trap. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we, we get these... We are more... Um, we are trained or we are more used to... Or you and I in particular, actually, not you and I, but the, the people of our sort of, like, you know... And, um, pop culture references and probably more in you know attuned to these because you, you we, we are used to reading novels or uh, comics in particular that have this uh, or even animated films and stuff that that, that are going to go on these journeys you know like um you know i can use grammar or alan moore or whatever you know, those sorts of ideas you can use those things i mean i don't know if films you know it's a journey into the fire isn't it um Voice of the you know, Fire. Uh, uh, yeah, Voice of the Fire, so Alan Moore's book, that idea, or, or, or you know, Jerusalem. Um, and then with Grant Morrison, you know, there's things of like the Invisibles and the, you know, his idea of the, for the Doom Patrol. Like you read those and you go, oh, yeah, this has got some ideas in that's going to be wacky. But like, you know, they present them in different ways. But you go, okay, this has got some sort of like meta narrative and they're using the media in a different way. Like we're used, we're sort of like used to expecting that. You know, so we can go, oh, yeah, we get that, the normal, but then we're going to get this side view. Film doesn't get to have that often because there's this main category where everyone's like, this is the, this is what films are, this is what films are, this is what films are. And you you then get something different like The Fountain and people are like, ah, no, no, that doesn't work. And I often think TV, or TV is probably the wrong, but like you know, long-form shows again you are more willing to accept this this sort of this weirdness or this narrative these narrative structures or these narrative traps or whatever or these narrative experiments and so you know i think again of tv shows where they're going like oh well this episode we're going to have a completely sort of we're going to go off and do this for this episode and do whatever but it's still all part of the giant narrative and so i wonder sometimes i watch this and i'm like i wonder if this had been you know in this day in the 2020s would this be a HBO Max series? And it would be gangbusters. This would be awards yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's certainly <clears throat> ambitious. Mm. Um, I do I do feel that, but I also feel like, um, you know, I wanted to say something about Grant Morrison that I think feel like Grant gets pigeonholed into mm. like people think that's what these plots are about, right? You know, it's like, oh, the metafictional conceit. Most of his stuff doesn't have any metafiction in it. Oh, no, no, he just um, ignored, yes. But, you know, but my point <clears throat> is, like, you know, when I, when, you know, when I talk to Grant, I mean, I'm not, I'm not his buddy, but um, I wish I were. But when I ha have talked to him, you know, he seems so much more focused on, like, I mean, he loved The Dark Knight. And I was like, you want Batman to be silly. You know, you're mm. not into that realistic superhero. And he's like, yeah, but it's so good. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think that we can judge individual works based on, you know, art for art's sake, you know, mm. based on what they want to be. And and I think that Grant seems much more interested in, like, what did you get out of it? Like, yeah. did that work for you if it worked for you that transfigured dude like that's awesome if it didn't now yeah, you know oh well it works for that other guy and you know i mean um and so that makes me think 
you know, uh, getting back to the point of the fountain and this sort of mystical thing and embracing the moment and being present, um, you know, our objections to movies that have these logical flaws are really just an objection to, you know, like the, that sort of, I, I mean, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, you know, sort of like logical, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our, our training. All those rules can be violated. Oh, yeah, yeah. But movies and, and narratives signal that they're in that logical world in certain ways um, and then have to be judged by it. And mm. so they don't get to introduce like, well, I've got a magic wand that makes us reverse time. Yeah. 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 You don't get to introduce that. Um, this movie doesn't exist in that world. And mm. in the end, it's all just poetry anyway. It's yeah. all audiovisual poetry that we make sense of. And at best, it signals to us what kind of world, what kind of sense it's asking us to make, mm. if any of that makes sense. No, I agree. Oh, I do agree. Um, and I think you've got to be willing to take it on that. You've got to be willing to take it on that uh, premise, you know, on, on its own sort of merits. And I think I st- sometimes struggle with that because, you know, the film also presents a sort of a, a relatively straightforward narrative, and you're like, okay, well, which one are you going with, sort of thing. As you said, sort of tonally, sometimes it sort of slips. But overall, but you don't, you don't know as no. you're watching it the first time. You don't know like. Mm. What rules do you want me to judge you by? Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm thinking about. When I put this against the other films that we've watched this season, I think there's going to be that question of, like, where does it fit? Because can I compare this to, um, you know, Star Trek The Motion Picture? Can I compare <laughs> this? The, the one I would say that I can compare this most closely to would be The Man Who Fell to Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, in that that falls in that same sort of like you know the visual bucket where you're like there's moments where you're like i ain't got a clue what's going on you know was that was that pilgrim family really there is it what happened <laughs> like, pff, i have no idea what i still don't understand that scene i love it i enjoy that whole film i think i think about that film a lot you know at times um and and so yeah i think it's gonna have to be it's gonna be interesting to make this, as i sort of like let all this just state in my head and I, I'm going to rank that order. I think we'll, we'll have to see, really. Anyway. Well, tune in next time to yes. listen to how the hell we figure out yeah, where this movies and sort of rank them side by side and, and argue and figure through this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to the conversation. But that's what's coming next, ladies and gentlemen. And the next episode is it's our sort of season review of those of those twelve films. But more than that, um, we'll be giving you up some more stuff. I'm going to give a bit of a layout now, really, I suppose, because you know, it, it, you should know. You know, I suppose in the last sort of three, there's been a couple of films we've gone quite deep, and I think we've you know we've had some fantastic conversations. I think we've really sort of nailed a lot of stuff recently. We've become quite sort of you know we've given a lot of ourselves, and I think that's great because what we're talking these conversations before but we are going to be talking about some crazy dumb shit as well at some point in the future don't worry uh following the um uh, season in review we're going into our special our between season specials and this time we've got a bit of a double header we're going to be doing some terry gilliam uh we're going to be covering off four films uh three of the reviews are sort of like uh, i'm going to say retreads we, we, we sort of had those ready from previous recordings from 20th century geeks so we're going to re-release those and that's for uh, Time Bandits, uh, Baron Munchausen, and Brazil. Uh, but we're also going to include 12 Monkeys in that as well. So we're going to be talking about 12 Monkeys, which is a great film. So we'll be talking about that. And then beyond that, we're going to be stepping into the TARDIS. And um, we are going to be doing 
uh, a run on classic Doctor Who. None of this newfangled stuff, eh? None of your Russell T. Davis and your David Tennant. No, no, no. We're going all the way back to the beginning. We're going to cover the original uh, seven classic Doctors. And we are going to take one story from each of those Doctors. We've chosen them. We'll release which ones they are. We'll tell you which ones they are. And we're going to give our thoughts on classic Doctor Who stories, uh, one per episode. So that's our special. And then we'll be cracking on into the next season and we'll release all that information in the future. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. And ladies we're and gentlemen, ambitious. We've got <laughs> ambitious plans here. Yeah, we we've planned out for a long, long time. Um, we've had to show it to Till. Tillaran has had a look at the plans. He's given us the nod, the rubber stamp, um, and all those sorts of things. We haven't mentioned him on the. We've mentioned him on the uh, Patreon exclusives. Which, That's if true. you love this show, you can subscribe to Patreon and get, um, you know, extras, bonuses, including us talking about the Twilight Zone. So we've broached the subject that there, we now have an alien overseer on on that series but this is the first time we're mentioning oh yeah by the way we have been contacted yeah. by extraterrestrial life that has traveled here through the uh through the television airwaves and is now in charge of our show yeah it's been an interesting experience talking with intergalactic life he he um is still or finding she. his way he's yeah, yeah, I don't think, yeah, he, she, it. Um, he's trying to explain how it works. One day we'll get to that. It's not two. There are more than two in that relationship. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, uh, Tillerant has, has sort of um, introduced himself. He's on. Uh, it's oh, sorry, uh, Tillerant is on social media. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and they are fi- they are they are finding their way um, through different things. And uh, you know, I recently gave them a, a Christmas album to listen to. And they have tried some of the different pieces. They are watching the films alongside us as well. Um, and so, you know, you will start to hear uh, Tillerand's voice. Uh, not his voice, but, you know, you will start to hear their thoughts through some reviews and other things that are coming up. Uh, but go find him. It's just uh, at Tillerand Lem. Uh, I'll put a link in below, actually, sort of like, you know, come follow along. Find out what uh, um, Tillerand thinks of us as a human species. Um, yeah. He, you know, he tried to explain Chris. We tried to explain Christmas to him. He was a little baffled. Uh, uh, I, I just want to add, apropos of this, I suddenly realized to my horror, I bet I misgender Grant Morrison. Uh, Grant Morrison <laughs> uses they pronouns. Um, I grew up reading and writing about Grant Morrison, yeah, and did, so it's uh, been a difficult transition for me, but I apologize for that. Um, I, I'm sure I messed that up. No, yeah, don't worry. I, I did. It. I did exactly the same, and I apologise too. It's it, some, you know, it's not. I it, sometimes words come out of my mouth, and then my brain catches up a day or two later. Yeah. Um. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And as Julian said, if you want to come find us, uh, have a chat about this uh, this film or any of our films, or even try and have a chat with Tilleran, you can come find us at pod at pod time space on Twitter. Um, and obviously, you know, come find us on uh, the Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash 20CG media. Um, and just leave a review. You know, I, I actually found out the other day we got some really great reviews um, sat around on the Apple sort of thing. So thank you very much for those. Um, but, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you on the next episode when we do talk about our season in review. We'll talk to you then. I'm going to become a tree now. <laughs> <laughs>